Hello, this is Avril Janks from LSJ. I'm speaking today to two people who both work in the office of the DPP, Melinda Graxol and Dion Connell. Melinda started her career in a small private law firm and made many applications to work for the DPP and finally achieved her dream. 18 years later, she has an executive role as the deputy solicitor managing the Sydney West region. Dean Connell is a solicitor advocate at the Newcastle office. Hello both to Mel and Dion. It's lovely to see you today. Hello. Beautiful day today. Just saw a rainbow in Hyde Park, so I'm hoping it's been a very promising day for you too. Mm. Um, thank you for letting us know that you're willing to speak, having come from um, the Office of the Director of Public Prosecutions. For both of you, this has been a further step in a legal career. So, Mel, should we start with you telling us how you came to be here? Of course. So when I graduated from university, I started working in a private practice in a suburb outside of Sydney. And that was a small um, firm doing all the bread and butter work of a law firm. So conveyancing, wills, estates, a little bit of commercial um, so I got a bit of a taste of everything, a little bit of crime mixed in there as well. Um, I mainly did conveyancing, um, which wasn't really where my passion lay. Um, and so I applied multiple times to get into the DPP because um, that's where I felt like, you know, that was the dream job. I applied for all kinds of roles. I applied for runner roles, um, anything to get me in the door. Um, eventually got a lawyer position starting as one of the graduate lawyers. Um, and that was nearly 18 years ago. Um, so I've been there ever since um, in various roles, worked my way up through the solicitor roles, uh, moved into management. Um, I've managed three of our Sydney West offices and now I'm part of the executive um, with you know, greater oversight over the region. So do you manage a team of lawyers as well? So at the moment I'm managing a team of managers and they're managing teams of lawyers. So I look after our Sydney West region, which is Parramatta, Penrith and Campbelltown. Mm -hmm. So there's seven legal teams throughout that region, probably about 15 to 20 lawyers per team um, and um, law clerks involved in that as well. So I manage the operational oversight of those offices. Yeah. Thank you. And Dion, are you in one of those teams that Mel manages? I'm not currently in one of those teams. So this is a safe space for me at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> but I think in the future, I may be. Um, I'm part of the Newcastle office of the DPP at the moment, and so that comes under a different um, management group uh, to that which Mel manages. Uh, but equally, um, they all operate in a really similar way. Obviously, each region has its differences, yeah. um, and uh, Newcastle deals with mainly things all north of Newcastle, whereas, as Mel said, she's um, managing Sydney West. Uh, but currently I'm in the Newcastle office working mostly in the Newcastle District Court. Do you actually live in the Newcastle region? I do at the moment. Uh, I've moved up there. I've just started there recently. So I've moved up there uh, to be part of the Newcastle office. Um, and that was when I went into my new role, which is solicitor advocate. Uh, so I've been there since I think it's about October or November of last year. Yeah. 
Has this been a major change for you in terms of location? Were you city-based beforehand? Yeah, look, it's a bit of a juggle because my partner still lives here in Sydney, so <laughs> I spend a lot of time going back and forth. Uh, but it's been really interesting living somewhere else other than Sydney, even though sometimes that's only for part of the week and just to see what life's like without so much traffic and <laughs> being able to get to work a little bit easier. <laughs> so you think this might be a long-term move, do you? Look, who knows? The thing about the DPP is you never know where you'll end up. Um, I've moved around several offices. So I started in Parramatta and then I worked in Campbelltown for a few years and now I find myself in Newcastle. So um the sky's the limit in terms of where, where you'll end up, really. Have you worked in different areas of the law in those different offices? Uh, not so much. We, we, our practices at the DPP are always all-encompassing of all crime, really. Mm-hmm. But, of course, you notice differences as you move between the different regions. Um, so uh, it's, a, it's a lot more uh, sexual assault heavy up in Newcastle. Uh, whereas in Sydney West, uh, it was more of a balanced practice, I found, in terms of all different crimes that we prosecute. So you do notice those small nuances as you move between the offices, uh, which is great because you get to develop your skills in areas, you know, like I'm saying, when you go to Newcastle and it's a bit more centric in one particular area and you do a lot more of that, uh, which builds your skills in that particular area. That sounds like um, quite a mixed bag. And I'm just wondering whether for both of you, this is the question, whether this can be quite stressful at times, particularly in the area of sexual assault, which you've just mentioned. Yeah, look, I I would have to agree that it is stressful and the office has a number of initiatives in place working on um, what what we've termed as, well, what is generally known as vicarious trauma, which is the trauma that you take on from reading and viewing and being around this material and around people who, for example, victims of crime. Um, So we're cognisant of the issue and wellbeing um, is a significant concern of the office and um, certainly you'll see solicitors um, who develop their own coping strategies in relation to um, dealing with the trauma. It largely manifests in a very, you know, often a dark sense of humour through the office, um, which is just one coping mechanism. But what I would say is that the trauma... In, certainly I can only speak for my career, but the trauma that I've been exposed to in relation to the, you know, complex and, um, you know, matters that have involved extremely vulnerable victims and children and just, you know, complex human situations is still outweighed by, you know, my my values around social justice and seeing the good work that the office does in terms of, um, you know, bringing people's stories to court, giving people that um, voice to be heard, seeing really good outcomes in terms of, um, you know, repeat offenders of crime and, you know, the office is moving now into other areas in terms of justice reinvestment. We've got a good... Um, um, presence in the Wollama list in the district court um, and there's a role for a prosecutor to play in there in terms of representing the community but balancing out the greater needs and and the issues around over-representation of Aboriginal people in the criminal justice system. So um, it's a roundabout way of answering that, yes, it is stressful and the workload is high uh, without a doubt. And I think anyone who works for government knows um, there aren't as many frills around. We don't have secretaries. Uh, we don't have, um, you know, I think we have to bring our own coffee. It's, it's, as, it's as basic as that. And it's a, I love the environment in particular because it's everyone mucks in. So you've got um, 
everyone's at the lunch table, everyone's um, doing photocopying, organising their files. We're very paper heavy still, um, but everyone's doing it. And it's a, it creates this beautiful team environment. So I, I feel like the social good and the team environment really helps deal with those stressful factors. Yeah. Thank you. Well, it seems that there's a certain sense of being in a team with you and Dion, even though you're not working in the same office. So that's really coming mm. through very strongly. Dion, how do you manage that level of stress, you know, and vicarious trauma out of working hours? Yeah, look, it's um, it's definitely, <laughs> it can be challenging to manage. I've done the training that Mel was just referring to earlier and and it's funny because it just ends up being another skill that you learn in your workplace. And once you master that skill, you feel really proud of yourself that you can manage that. And um, I've got my own ways, like Mel's saying, we've all got our own ways of dealing with it. I do things in Newcastle at the moment, for example, when I finish court, I drive via the beach and I go on a beach walk. Mm-hmm. And that's crucial to my day, even when I'm in trial and I've got plenty of work to do when I open the laptop at home. Uh, I take the hour and I go for the beach walk and I listen to a podcast that has nothing to do with law or crime. Mm. And that's my coping mechanism. And that really uh, sets me up to be more productive over the next few hours. And those short breaks away from the content are are really important. They're really valuable. So a lot of people say to me uh, who work in the law, oh, I don't think I could work at the DPP. I don't know how you do it. I don't think I could be exposed to that content. And I always say the same thing back to them. I think you'd be surprised with how resilient you can become because it's just another skill that you have to learn. And once you master it, you feel like a bit of a weapon in that space mm. because you can handle it and be really productive in that space. Dan, I'd say um, also, though, that sometimes we do say to people, it won't be for everyone. The work won't be for everyone. And that's okay, because some people, particularly young graduate lawyers come to the DPP, and it's not what they expected. Um, And it's better to call it early. And I'm really proud of people when they're able to say, you know what, it's not what I expected, or it's actually affecting me, it's affecting my sleep, it's affecting my, you know, work life balance. And go and find a job elsewhere because they can be great lawyers, but they might the type of work might not suit them. And mm-hmm. we try and have those conversations with lawyers really early on because it's okay. Um, you either can can deal with it, and it, there's there's no moral value in you being able to deal with it or not. It just is, and it's it's great work as we'd both agree. But it's not worth it's not work that's worth getting sick for. So that's how we kind of approach it, and and you have to have those conscious outlets too. To deal with it, yeah. Yeah, and the new staff that come into the DPP, there's just as much onus on uh, people like me that have been around for a little while to try and develop that skill in them as well. Mm. Um, A really good example is this week, the reason I'm here, I had a trial that uh, ended up being adjourned and the solicitor who was instructing me in that trial, the first conversation we had when we got back to my office was about why she's going to take a flex day off tomorrow mm. and, and not simply come straight back into the office. Because I said, well, you thought you were going to be in court. Yeah. So you didn't have anything on that day. I'm sure you've flex hours. Um, you've got a little bank there. I should explain flex hours because there's probably listeners that don't know what that <laughs> yeah. means. And that's simply... Uh, Working for the government, most government departments, I think, uh, have sort of if you work over your contract hours, those hours go into a little bank and you can draw on those hours uh, to get those hours back at another time for yourself. So that's one way that working for the government balances out 
your workload mm. with those. We call them flex hours. Mm. So, Mel, um, that would be a very different pattern from when you were in private practice. Yes. Am I correct? Yeah, absolutely. Would you like to talk So that is, you know, a huge benefit of being government lawyer. Um, We've got um, significant leave entitlements, including flex, as Dion's explained. We've got parental leave. Um, There were changes in terms of paternity leave that came in last year. Um, Much more generous um, conditions. Um, We have flexible work now, um, which is, you know, fairly embedded across the organisation now. My experience in private practice, even all those years ago, um, was I worked very long hours and it was very much expected of me to do those hours. There was no sort of discussion around whether I would or wouldn't. Um, And I wasn't in the big end of town. I was at a little suburban firm. But if I, um, the work was just there and there was no real negotiation around limits and and so forth. Um, there certainly wasn't any structure around wellbeing and check-ins and anything like that that we're lucky enough to have. So it's very different uh, working for government and I think, um, you know, more and more we're seeing this, you know, greater inclusion, greater accessibility um, for people working in government and I think government's really trying to lead the way in terms of those, you know, best practice workplaces and I think that's to everyone's benefit. Mm. And I think just like you use the word expectation when Mm. you're working in that private firm, and that's probably a difference a lot of people don't realise in the government sector legal work is that, yes, the workload can be high and you will work hard at times, but there's not an expectation that I'll sit at my desk looking for other work to do till 10pm at night. You know, you you manage it yourself and we all have our peaks and troughs and you take those moments when you can leave a little bit earlier because, like me this week, the trial ended up being adjourned. So, you know, I'm able to have shorter days this week to be able to manage my wellbeing and make sure I've got time outside of work as well. Mm. So have you always been in the government sector then? I have only worked in the government sector uh, legally, yeah. I was paralegal at the Crown Solicitor's Office and then I knew I wanted to be at the DPP. Uh, like Mel, I was sort of targeting the DPP and I got a little bit sidetracked um, opportunistically that uh, uh, an opportunity came up at the Crown Solicitor's, which these days I'm really glad I did because I do have this bank of knowledge from that experience and I'm grateful for that. Um, but I had only, I've only worked in those two places in my legal career. So while I haven't had the experience Mel's had uh, outside in, in the, what, what I think is the scary private world of the legal <laughs> career, I do have a lot of friends that I went to university with that work in that space. So I've, I've heard a lot about it and I interact with them um, weekly about their experiences. Would you have any ambition or thought in the future to maybe entering the world of private practice just to see what it's like? I think I'm not sure that private practice is for me. One thing that's really exciting about our uh, director, Sally Dowling SC, is that uh, we... she's come in and really expanded, I think, the DPP's reach into the legal fraternity in Sydney and is really encouraging uh, our uh, networking and not being such a silo operation. And so while I don't know that I'd take a big leap and completely uh, jump over to private, um, I'm excited that there may be some secondment opportunities in the future to go and dabble in things, you know, to be able to come back to the DPP at the end of it, uh, but to have those experiences. Because like I said about the Crown Solicitor's Office, that was a bit of a sidetrack for me, but then I was really grateful for Mm. that experience. Both of you seem 
very excited by the law and about the law. And I'm wondering if it was that excitement about being in the law and assisting people with justice that first got you to study law, that made you first take up the study of law. Mel? Yeah, I, I would have to say yes. Um, I probably couldn't um, articulate it as well back then, but um, I had a sense of um, I hate when things are unfair. Mm. And I know that's a very immature word to say, um, but that's how I, I strongly felt and that's what drew me to the law. And so when I sort of reflect back on it now, uh, I probably, you know, would say that it's my passion for social justice um, is a, probably a much smarter way of saying, you know, dealing with things that are unfair, um, but very much so. And um, the work that we do, we are surrounded by people and this is one thing I, I, I still can't get over when you go into one of our offices, you are surrounded by some very brilliant lawyers. Mm. And um, I didn't have that exposure in private practice, just being a smaller firm. But um, certainly they were very talented people I worked with, absolutely. But an office of 40 talented barristers and solicitors, like as a young lawyer, that was just incredible to me. And also... Um, what you'll find at the DPP in particular, and there are many government agencies like Legal Aid and the Aboriginal Legal Service would have similar um, staff profiles, that it's an office full of people with similar values. So there is no um, big bonus coming at the end of the year that's driving people's behaviour. Um, there's no big corner office coming. Um, there's no real big levers that people are waiting to be pulled. So really it's the work that drives them. Um, and I think that's a really special aspect of our office in particular, that people are there because it's, the, it's, the, it's a good, important role um, and to do it well. Um, I think that is a huge difference in, in government um, and certainly what keeps me there in terms of those values around social justice, better outcomes for victims, um, better outcomes for witnesses, better outcomes just generally across the board. Mm. So, Dion, I'm sure when you were deciding on a career, if you'd heard somebody like Mel speaking about her passion for the law, that would have encouraged you. Oh, very much so. And that's um, equally, that's what drew me to, to this area. This is my second career. I, I did a business degree years ago and worked in marketing and wasn't really getting the satisfaction out of that that I thought I would get. And I was attracted to law. And in particular, that's probably why I ended up in the government legal space is because I was attracted to working in an environment where the goal wasn't making money mm. or that wasn't the ultimate goal or bottom line. Uh, and and like Mel said, you know, we have different goals and especially at the DPP and working on behalf of the Crown is that we've, we've got a whole uh, bunch of different goals that we've got to look after. And while obviously money is important because, you know, we have to be funded in some way, but th there are equal goals for us. And one of them is the justice for the victims that we uh, that we work with uh, and uh, making sure that we take matters to court in a fair way and that the prosecutions are fair for everybody, including the accused person. So I, I was really attracted to an environment uh, where those were the goals and equally, like Mel said, the the ability to work into in a space, the opportunity I should refer to it as, to work in a space where uh, you have so many smart, intelligent people around you. It really is something special and it's mm. quite a unique environment. Mm. Mel, um, to take this idea forward about goals that inspire you and social justice, 
Um, I've heard that you are very interested in the diversity and inclusion space. Would you like to tell us a bit about that? Yeah, sure. So um, when I joined the executive at the DPP, I thought there was an opportunity for us to do more work in that space. So I worked and um, set up the diversity and inclusion working group. And so this will be our sixth year operating now. And within that group, we've got subgroups and we focus on a different dimension of diversity um, under each of those groups. And um, as a team, we've delivered some pretty amazing projects and, you know, really advanced the position of the DPP in terms of being a a much more inclusive employer, um, but also better reflecting the community that we serve. And it's really important um, to me um, to drive those values because I feel like, um, you know, I need to use my privilege um, purposefully. And I feel that where other people don't have a voice, I have a voice at some tables. And so it's important um, to use that voice. Um, So I've also joined the Law Society's Diversity and Inclusion Committee. And and that is a room of really inspiring, motivated humans doing absolutely fantastic work. Um, So driving all those initiatives as well. Um, It's another way of offsetting the work that we do as well. Um, it's, you know, we get some just small little wins. Last week for Ida Hobbit Day, we announced that we were adding our pronouns to our email signatures. So little things like that just are indicators of we are inclusive. Um, we get it. Pronouns are important. Um, you are you and your identity is important. So um, that's something that I'm very, very passionate about. Um, there's lots of work to do um, across the legal profession. Um, and I think for particularly um, solicitors who are living with disability, there is a lot of work to do in terms mm. of accessibility of the law, even just physical accessibility to the courts. And, and the DNI group at the Law Society are really working on that. Um, that's one of the big priorities this year. So, yeah, those um, anything we can do there I think is a good thing. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. And I think in terms of you saying doing little things, it sounds like you're both doing big things. <laughs> And um, we thank you very much for sharing all these views today and your history and your experience. And it's been really lovely speaking to you. And hopefully we'll talk to you at another stage about those diversity and inclusion initiatives, as well as many others. Thanks, Dion. Thanks, Mel. It's been lovely meeting you today. Thanks, Avril. Thanks for having us. Thank you for having us. Thank you for listening. This podcast is a production of the Law Society of New South Wales. Today's episode was hosted by myself, Avril Janks, and the executive producer is Francisco Silva. See you next time.